Hey there, toppers. I promise I'll keep this short and sweet, but I do gotta pay the bills. If you go to my website, turnofphrases.com, you'll see the fine folks who help bring you this podcast. My sponsors are Audible, Boss Boxes, and Amazon. If you go to the Support the Podcast page on my website, you'll be able to see the offers I have available to you as a listener of Turn of Phrases. Some of the offers change frequently, so make sure you check back from time to time to see if there's something that'll float your boat. And with that, to keep my promise, I'm going to end this ad and get on with the show. Please listen carefully. Hello, toppers, and welcome to episode 25. Wow, we're a quarter of the way to 100 episodes. We'll get to there, good lord willing, and the creek don't rise. I thank you for coming on this journey with me, whether it's your first time here or you've been here from the beginning, or anything in between. Today, we're doing a topic we've done before, back in episode 10. In case you haven't heard that one or it's been a while since you listened, the theme is phrases with a name in them. There's a ton of sayings with names in them, and I could only fit so many into the first episode I did on this topic, so I decided to do a few more. I've still barely scratched the name saying surface with this episode, so perhaps we'll do some more in the future. But that's something for another day. Let's get on with today's show. Come along with me to learn today's phrases origins, history, and more. The first phrase I want to explore today is Charlie Horse. A Charlie Horse is usually used to refer to a cramp, pain, or stiffness in the leg, generally the calf muscle. However, it sometimes is used to describe the same type of pain in the arm. Before we get into the origin of this one, we need to discuss the proper spelling of it. You'll understand why this is important in a few moments. The Charlie part of a Charlie horse is spelled C-H-A-R-L-E-Y, not C-H-A-R-L-I-E. The reason this is important has to do with the origin of the phrase. As there often is with the phrases we look at, there is more than one believed theory for how this phrase came about. The one thing they all have in common is that someone or something named Charlie with the C-H-A-R-L-E-Y variation of the spelling is part of the theory. The oldest, and thought by many to be the most likely, is that this term comes from a baseball player named Charles Radborn. He went by Charlie and played for 12 seasons in the MLB, which stands for Major League Baseball. He had a prolific career playing for the Buffalo Bisons in Buffalo, New York, the Providence Grays in Providence, Rhode Island, the Boston Bean Eaters in Boston, which was actually the team that became the current-day Atlanta Braves, and then finally he played for the Cincinnati Reds in Cincinnati, Ohio. During his illustrious career, he received a Triple Crown, which is an award given to baseball players who lead the league in three specific stats in the same season. For the pitching Triple Crown, a player had to lead in wins, strikeouts, and earned average run. Charlie was only the second player to ever win the pitching Triple Crown for the National League, which was part of the MLB. Now, the reason I told you all of this was to illustrate how good of a baseball player he was, so you can understand why he was able to potentially influence this saying. His nickname on the field of play was Old Hoss, and legend has it that he got bad leg cramps during games in the 1800s. 
And so, because he was Charlie the Old Hoss, his cramps became known as Charlie Horses. Now, this is obviously going to be hard to prove definitively, but it is the most popular theory. Since baseball is considered America's pastime, and Radborn was such a talented and popular player, it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility that he and his cramps were the origin of this saying. The next theory for how the phrase got its start is that 17th century English policemen were called Charlies, and since they walked around so much, it led to aching legs. The last idea is from a horse named Charlie, who was lame, but pulled the roller, which is basically a field leveler, around the Chicago White Sox's field in the 1890s. Since the horse had a limp, any sort of leg cramp had by a player made them think of their lame horse named Charlie. The phrase began showing up in sports writing in the late 1800s, so the timing of any of these three theories could fit. Since two of the main theories for the origin of this one come from baseball, I am willing to bet that the game played at least some part in the rise of popularity for this one. Now, I think we've knocked this one out of the park, so let's move on to the next phrase of the day, full Monty. The full Monty usually means the whole thing. This one also has several potential starting points, three to be exact. The first comes from British Army Field Marshal Bernard Montgomery, who fought in both World War I and World War II. A field marshal, which by the way is the highest rank in the British Army, is equivalent to the American military rank of General of the Army. Field Marshal Montgomery, whose nickname was Monty, was a big fan of a big breakfast, even while out on campaigns. His large morning meals became known as the Full Monty. The next theory comes from gambling, specifically the card game called Three Card Monty, spelled M-O-N-T-E. This is a card version of the popular shell game where the player has to try to follow the ball under one of the shells as they're mixed up. If you won Three Card Monty by finding the card you were supposed to after they were all mixed up, then you won the pot, or the Monty. Going along with the gambling idea, some folks think that the Monte Carlo Casino played a part in this phrase, still keeping in with the idea that winning the pot was being called getting the full Monte. And also, in some countries, a good bet in horse racing was called a Monte. So while the exact effect gambling had on this phrase is unknown, it most likely played some part in its rising popularity. The last of the three most well-known theories has to do with fashion, namely a three-piece suit. Specifically, it was because of a three-piece suit from the wildly popular British tailors Montague Burton. Their popular three-piece suit could be requested simply by asking for the full Monty. This saying first appeared idiomatically in print in the good old Oxford English Dictionary in the 1980s so it is relatively new in the grand scheme of print appearances. What really launched this saying into the popular phrase it is now was the 1997 movie called The Full Monty, a comedy about steelworkers who decided to create their own male striptease act. Because of this movie, the idiom The Full Monty is sometimes used to mean that someone is naked. And now that I've bared all of that, let's move on to the next phrase for today, joshing me. If someone says they are just joshing you, then they mean that they're only kidding around. The origin of this one is much easier to track down, because we actually know who the original jokester Josh was. 
This one goes back to the 1800s and is the legacy of a man named Josh Tatum. He was a deaf mute, but he didn't let that stop him from doing whatever he wanted to do. In 1883, a new nickel was released by the U.S. Mint, one we know as the Liberty Head Nickel. The tails side of the coin had a large V on it, representing the Roman numeral 5. It did not say nickel or cent anywhere on the coin, and the coin happened to be about the same size as the then-common $5 gold piece, something Josh Tatum took notice of. Long story short, he and some buddies used the science of gold electroplating to make the nickels look like the coins worth $5. He would then buy cheap items at stores, use the false fiver, and get the change back in legitimate money. Because he only bought small items, it took a long time to catch on to his scheme, and by then, he had made a lot of money. When he was prosecuted for spending the counterfeit coins, his defense was that since he was unable to speak or hear, he had never actually told anyone he'd swindled that what he was handing them was in fact a $5 coin, so it was not really his fault that they gave him more change than he actually was supposed to get back. Since he'd bought mostly small items and they could not prove he'd purposely lied to anyone about how much he was spending, he was not convicted of most of the charges against him. After that, the U.S. Mint added the word since to the Liberty Head nickel to help keep others from doing the same kind of con. So, thanks to this criminal mastermind, we use the saying, are you joshing me, as a way to ask if someone can be trusted, or to let on that we know they're not being truthful. Now let's look at today's next phrase, Van Gogh's ear for music. This idiom means that someone is tone deaf, or that they sing off key. This one gets its visual imagery from the story of Van Gogh removing his own ear, and implies that after doing so, he would not be able to hear music as well as before. It's said that he would still listen to music after his self-injury, but would sing off key because he could not hear it properly. But to really get to the bottom of this one, we have to look at its big brother, the phrase having an ear for music. This one has been around since at least the 18th century. It means that you have a talent for hearing details in music, perhaps being able to play music by ear, or just overall being good with music in general. Since having an ear for music means you're good at singing and playing instruments, the progression to saying someone who's oppositely musically inclined does not have an ear for music was an easy one. Throw in a famous person cutting off his ear and you have the perfect recipe for a new phrase. I could not find a first use in print reference, so let's move on to today's metaphorical moment. It's just a metaphor, dude. It's a metaphor. Curious metaphor. A metaphor. That's just a metaphor. Today's metaphor is to be as old as Methuselah. This saying is used to say someone or something is quite old. So, who is Methuselah and just how old was he? Well, as for the who, Methuselah was a Hebrew man featured in the Old Testament of the Bible. He was the grandfather of a guy you've probably heard about, Noah. Yeah, the ark guy. So anyway, Grandpa Methuselah is said to have lived to the ripe old age of 969 years old. In Genesis chapter 5, verse 27, we find the following. And all the days of Methuselah were 960 and 9 years, and he died. Around the turn of the 20th century, a book titled The Minor Poems of the Vernon M.S. was published by Frederick James Furnival and Carl Horstman. 
Furnival was an English philologist, which is someone who studies language in oral and written historical sources, and Horstmann was a German medievalist. So it makes sense with these two paired up on a book, they'd have a source from 1390, which happens to be the first known time this saying shows up in print. This is the quote, If a man may lieben ear as long as dude Matuzla. End quote. And before this subject gets too old, let's look at today's familiar quotation. Okay, toppers, I've got the book open to a section of Nathaniel Hawthorne's works, and I've landed on a quote of his from Sketches from Memory, The Notch of the White Mountains. He says, Mountains are Earth's undecaying monuments. Okay, Hawthorne, I can't say I disagree with you. And that's going to do it for today's familiar quotation. Okay, toppers, that's a wrap on episode 25. Thank you again for joining me to turn some phrases. As always, I hope you enjoyed the episode and you learned something along the way. You can check out my show notes to find out all of my social media, contact, and sponsor information. Remember that you can send me topic suggestions, and if you do, just let me know if you want to shout out when I do your topic or if you want to remain anonymous. If you had a good time listening, please consider subscribing to the show or leaving a review on whatever podcast app you use. A five-star rating and a quick review are really the best way you can help me in the podcast out. Also, if you know someone who'd enjoy the show, please tell them about it to help spread the word. Thanks again for listening to the Turn of Phrases podcast, researched, written, hosted, and produced by me, Brisky. Until next time, toppers, in the words of W.C. Fields, it ain't what they call you, it's what you answer to.